Thanks for joining me on this Cleveland Baseball Morning. I'm Davey Barris, lifelong Cleveland baseball fan, and we've got a few more things to talk about at this All-Star break. We're going to break down every pitcher on the roster who's pitched for the Indians this season. We're going to continue with our thumbs up, thumbs down. We've got news from Rob Manford, and we, uh, we got an email from one of our fans. So let's get into it, and let's start this discussion on the Cleveland Indians pitching. All right, let's jump to that email really quick, and it's a question from Steve, who I believe is one of our big fans from the UK. Steve said, really enjoyed the All-Star Game episode, particularly your player rating segment. I felt your pain when you had to give Yu Chang a thumbs down. I know, Steve. I know. We wanted it to work. Failing to bring home runners on base has been a frequent problem for Cleveland throughout the first half of the season. I'd really like to know how we compare with other teams when it comes to converting runners in scoring position into runs. I'm guessing we're probably terrible. In contrast, how are we doing when it comes to scoring when we already have two outs? It feels like we've been pretty good at this, right? We've gotten a few two-out rallies. By the way, does it still feel like an 85-win season now we're halfway at the halfway point. Yeah, Steve, it kind of does. Kind of feels like somewhere in the 80s right now. I mean, unless this team gets insanely hot when uh, Bieber and Savali come back, unless they add some fuel to the fire with a veteran pitcher with uh, some pop in the outfield, yeah, it feels like an 80, 80, somewhere in the 80s, right, is where this team is going to land. So, uh you got that one right. All right, so let's dive into his question about runners in scoring position. Now, I cannot tell you that I can find the stats, like the the team rankings like I can for batting average or for even OPS, right? Those are easy. Some of these splits, they don't really have uh, like team league rankings for some of these splits. If you can find them out there, please let me know. Please email me and tell me what site you use to find those. But what I can tell you is I can look at the MLB averages and then tell you what the Indians are doing. And in fact, we don't even have to limit it to runners in scoring position. We can look at a few different stats here to see how the Indians are doing. Let's start off with a simple split, right-handed pitching versus left-handed pitching. How do the Indians do hitting righties versus hitting lefties compared to the league average? Well, I can tell you that the league is doing a little better against lefties. They're hitting 246 against lefties. They're hitting 238 against righties. The Indians are not. The Indians are only hitting 224 against lefties. They're close to league average at 232 against righties. Uh, the OPS, just to let you know how uh, how teams are slugging against righties and lefties. They're slugging, the league is slugging 714 or has an OPS of 714 against righties, 729 against lefties. Again, doing slightly better against lefties. The Indians are not. Again, close to league average against righties, 701 OPS, only a 688 OPS against left-handed pitching, which maybe that has to do with Fermil Reyes being out for a little bit, but with the switch hitters we have and with Fermil Reyes and Harold Ramirez, I guess Jordan Luplo has been out most of the season, it feels like, at least half of the first half. That's a weird statement. Uh, Yeah, we've been struggling against left-handed pitching. All right, let's jump down to another interesting uh, split here, and we'll get down to your runners in scoring position uh, situation here that Steve was asking about. So, the league, 
with runners in scoring position is hitting 251. The Indians with runners in scoring position are actually hitting 259. We are actually doing better than league average when it comes to that. The league OPS with runners in scoring position is 753. The Indians OPS with runners in scoring position is 755. So we're we're basically at league average when it comes to runners in scoring position, if not slightly above. And it's shown by the OPS plus, right? League average set to 100. The league is actually hitting a 110 OPS plus. The Indians are at a 117 OPS plus. So we are we are doing slightly above league average when it comes to runners in scoring position. We have 241 RBIs. Now, I can't really compare that to the league because the league has 7,986 RBI. So you see how it gets a little hard when you start comparing these things here. I guess if we wanted to break it down by a bat, we could probably get to a number there. Um, in fact, you know what? I'm going to do that for you. I'm going to do that for you. Give me one second. Let me do the math. All right. That's, this is why stats are great, man. It's just some easy math. So the Indians have scored 260 runs in 720 plate appearances with runners in scoring position. The league has scored 8,562 runs in 25,230 plate appearances with runners in scoring position. With some quick division, the Indians have scored 36 Point eleven percent of the time, the uh, league is averaging thirty three point nine four percent. Now, it, that doesn't mean every time, every one of those plate appearances that that thirty six percent of the time. But it is some quick math to show you how many plate appearances that uh, the Indian, how many opportunities the Indians have had versus what opportunities the league has had. And how many times those runs have come in to score. Or how many runs they were able to create out of that. So it's 36% for the Indians. 33, almost 34% for the league. So again, slightly above league average. Alright, with two outs. Let's take a look at that stat. Dropping further down on the clutch stats over here on Baseball Reference. They actually have two outs runners in scoring position. And for two outs runners in scoring position, the league is hitting 230. The Indians are hitting 247 with a 764 OPS. The league is only at a 722 OPS. The OPS plus 102 for the league, 119 for your Cleveland Indians. The Indians are actually doing much better than the league when it comes to runners in scoring position. So with two outs. So that is pretty cool. Um that is pretty cool to see. So yeah, so the Indians are so I'm I'm shocked. I'm I'm very surprised by those numbers. Um because it's not always above league average in other categories. Versus starting pitching, the league is hitting 243, the Indians are only hitting 232. So you think, oh, maybe they're doing better against relievers. Not really. They're only hitting 225 against relievers while the league is hitting 236 against relievers. So, yeah, the Indians, um, I mean, I could go through all these numbers here, but I'm surprised, Steve, that in the runners in scoring position situations, 
then the Indians are actually doing better than the league average. So there you go. I hope that answers your question. And uh, thank you for emailing in. And anybody else out there who has questions, feel free. ClevelandBaseballMornings at gmail.com. I'd love to know what you're thinking out there. All right. So some more news before we get into all the pitchers. Rob Manford, uh, obviously at the All-Star break, is the perfect time for him to give some interviews. He talked about a lot of things, including the fact that the seven-inning doubleheaders and the runner starting on second base are probably going away after this season. They were products of COVID, and they were experiments, and they're probably going away after this season. And I'm fine with that. I'm absolutely fine with that. I'm the type of person that thinks you got to play all nine innings. You got to play the thing out and see what happens. They had a long discussion about this on the local sports talk channel here in Cleveland. And uh, they were saying that it was a debate whether, not about the seven inning doubleheaders. Everybody kind of agreed they're pretty gimmicky. And baseball is meant to be nine innings, even though those make really long days. And it was kind of nice how quick those doubleheaders happened. You got to play all nine innings. The runner on second in extra innings, I think, is going to be more hotly debated. And it's it's a debate between the traditionalists that think you got to play the whole thing out and the people that go, look, after nine innings, I'm okay with a quick resolution to this thing. And there's tons of gimmicky things you could try. You could say, okay, we'll do, you know, we'll play through 12 and then it's just a tie. Or, I mean, people are throwing out things like, okay, after 10 innings, then you get out there and you do a home run derby to decide the winner, like a shootout in hockey. As much as we all love a hockey shootout, uh, it, it is a pretty gimmicky way to end things, and I just don't see baseball going to a home run derby to decide the actual winners of a game. Um, yeah, I, 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 I kind of agree with our local sports talk host here that if... Until someone can present to me something that it doesn't feel gimmicky to end a game, I think you just got to play the game out. I think you just do. If you really hate games going that long, then call them after 12. I mean, even in the NFL, we have ties. I think in 162 games, Major League Baseball can survive a couple of ties. I'd be interested to know in years past how many ties that would be, you know, say for the Indians, right? Games that went past 12 innings. Uh, probably You're probably looking at five or less maybe, right? So, yeah, it's, it's pretty hard. The runner on second base has created intrigue. It has created some strategy. Do you bunt? Do you move them over? Do they steal? Do they risk giving themselves up on the base paths to steal third? Uh, there's Yeah, there's a lot of situations there. But it sounds like we're going back to the way it was. Uh, at least when it comes to those two rules. Now, the other side of that is that he's seriously considering banning the shift. Now, there's a couple of ways that can be interpreted. You know, whether it's all fielders, all infielders have to have their feet on the dirt, or you have to have two on either two fielders on either side of second base, no matter how they're lined up. So you could shade the bag, but you can't come across it for a shortstop or a second baseman. That's going to be interesting. That one. That one, I, I kind of want to see. I, I kind of do. I, the naturalist in me, the traditionalist in me thinks, okay, no, that's dumb. You cannot limit strategy. You cannot limit the strategy of the defense. 
let the defenders line up where they want. It's, you know, it's the hitter's responsibility to be able to use the whole field. But at the same time, I do wonder without the shift, would Jose Ramirez be hitting like 345 if he didn't have to deal with that second baseman way out in right field who keeps throwing him out at first base? Maybe. Maybe it would definitely be a significant increase in batting average and action on the field. So is that the worst thing? I don't know. I'd really have to see it play out over a few months to kind of wrap my head around that one. And unfortunately, I don't have the time to watch the Cape Cod League or wherever they're experimenting with these things uh, in the minors. I just don't. It's hard enough to keep up with just all the Indians games, let alone everything else going down there with all the rule changes they've made in the minors this season to test things out. Uh, remember, they tested out bigger bases in one of the leagues. They've tested out limiting pickoff moves in one of the leagues. And, and I'm one of those people that's like, you don't need to necessarily speed up baseball. Yes, I enjoy when games are, you know, closer to three hours than four hours. But honestly, why are we only starting games at six o'clock when it's in April and May? Let's start all home games at six o'clock. Why not? You know, who, who are we hurting here? Uh, games starting at 6, ending around 9 are perfect. These games that start at 7 and end around like 10.30 or something like that get pretty late in the night. So, uh, yeah, I would be in favor of that. Uh, let's just bump up the start of these games an hour. All right, uh, so that's the stuff going on with Rab Manford. I heard the Indians team name is bouncing around um, in the tw- Indians Twitter sphere. Uh, I think Guardians is still kind of leading the way. It still seems to be uh, what everyone's hearing and feeling. So there have been some really cool mock-ups for logos and things like that. So it'll be interesting. I really hope they get this figured out by the end of the season. I really hope they do. Um, I mean, we're all dying to know what that name is going to be. So even if we just get an announcement at the end of the season of what the name is, even if they say the name and the logo and the uniforms won't be ready until the 2023 season, at least knowing what it's going to be so we can wrap our minds around it, right? We just want to wrap our minds around what it's going to be. We are all ready for the change. You know I'm ready for the change. I just want to know what it's going to be. All right. Other Indians news before we get into the pitchers. Well, this is a perfect transition into the pitchers because the Indians have announced what the rotation is going to be coming out of the All-Star break. And obviously, the starting rotation has been in flux, incredibly in flux. And I don't think they've announced exactly who is starting which game. And we're starting out in Oakland and then going to Houston before we come home against Tampa Bay and St. Louis, which is a tough, tough slate of games. But Uh, That first Oakland game is going to be a late one, 9.40 start, so good luck staying up for that one. And then we get lucky, we get a couple of 4 o'clock afternoon games out there in Oakland. Speaking of which, that's another thing Rob Manford said. Speaking of Oakland and Tampa Bay, is that he is basically putting some hard timelines on them figuring out their stadium situation. Whether Oakland and Tampa Bay can come up with new stadiums, or whether or not those teams might be on the move. Oakland might be on the move. Same uh, Tampa Bay doesn't sound as likely that they'd be on the move, but they really got to figure out their stadium situations. So uh, this might be our last trip to the old the uh, Coliseum out there in Oakland. 
But the starting five is going to be Eli Morgan, Cal Quantrill, Zach Plesak, JC Mejia, and Tristan McKenzie. Who knows what the order is going to be, but those are your five. Uh, no huge surprises there. Miss Mejia had been sent down. I think Mejia and Brad Peacock had like a piggyback game uh, during the All-Star break that did not go well. Um, but those are your five. And uh, yeah, we, the Indians still need some serious help in the starting pitching category. There are a lot of young arms that they are still relying on. You know you haven't seen the last of Henches. Uh, you probably haven't seen the last of Logan Allen either. So let's get into it. Let's get into the Indians pitchers, and let's talk about who we're giving thumbs up to and who we're giving thumbs down to. All right, we're starting things off with the starting pitchers, and Aaron Savali, who is on the 10-day IL right now, 10-2 on the season with a 332 ERA and 15 starts. He is getting a big thumbs up. If you remember, Savali was struggling pretty bad at the end of the 2020 season. And uh, he really rebuilt things in the offseason. And it's been really effective. His ERA plus is over 100. Remember, 100 league average. He's at 138 for his ERA plus. The second best starter on the team when it comes to that. Uh, His whip is down around one. He's at 1.065 whip, which is really, really good. Uh, He's got 76 strikeouts to 23 walks, which is good. So it gives him a strikeout to walk ratio of 3.3. And yeah, he's second in baseball and wins still, even though he's been out for a couple weeks. Uh, Kyle Hendricks and Julio Urias got up to 11 wins, but then he's tied with Bassett uh, Discofani from San Francisco at 10 wins. So he's hanging in there in in the win category, which... I know doesn't mean much to the modern-day baseball statistician, but I think to us fans still means a little bit, right? There are definitely times, we've talked about this before, where the win, setting your team up to win, putting them in a position to win, winning the battle that day between you and the other starting pitcher, you and the other pitching staff, does mean something. So Aaron Savali, big thumbs up. Shane Bieber has been out a little bit longer. He still has not thrown He's done some weight training stuff, some weighted ball stuff, but he has not started a throwing routine yet. And uh, Antonetti made it sound like that's going to start in the next week or so, but I think we all thought that Bieber would be back uh, sometime this month, and it doesn't sound like it. It sounds like it might not be till August, I mean, maybe even mid-August, another month before Sheen Bieber is back. So that is not good. He left at 7-4 and four with a 3.28 ERA. All right, there in 14 starts. He did take some rough losses there, but he was pretty dominant with the strikeouts. 130 strikeouts to 33 walks. It's good for a 3.94 strikeout to walk ratio, 12.9 strikeouts per nine innings. His whip was uh, 1.246, so he was getting hit around a little more than usual, and he had a 139 ERA plus, so definitely an above, above league average pitcher. Let's see where he ranks still in Major League strikeouts. He comes in at eighth, and he hasn't pitched in, what, has been like a month or something like that, and he's still eighth in the league in strikeouts to show you how dominant he was before he got hurt. All right, so big thumbs up from Shane Bieber, but, man, those two guys being gone has really, really hurt. I mean, it's this was such this rotation was going to be a strength of this team, and it just has not been. 
Plesak, uh, four and three, just made his comeback to the team. Four and three with a 4-3-1 ERA in 11 starts. It has not gone that well for Plesak. Uh, surprisingly, his whip is at 1.037. Um, he doesn't give up more hits than those other guys. Uh, his strikeout to walk ratio is 3.5. So he just. I mean, his FIP is much higher than Shane Bieber or Aaron Savali. His fielding independent pitching is up at 4.73. Um, yeah, he just, it has not seemed to click for Plesak this season. There's some days he looks great. There's some days that have been pretty rough for Plesak this season. Uh, oh, boy. Uh, I'm going to give it oof, the slightest thumbs up. The slightest. His ERA plus is still at 106. So that thumb is barely, uh, you know, above plane. That is that is a tough thumbs up right there. Tristan McKenzie, one and three with a 547 ERA. This is a thumbs down. I have 40 walks and 68 strikeouts. It's a 1.7 strikeout per walk ratio. His strikeouts per nine is at 12.4. His walks per nine is at 7.3. Unbelievable. His hits per nine is only at 5.3. He's not getting hit around. He just cannot stop walking people. And so that's just something Tristan McKenzie definitely worked on. His last start against Kansas City, he was dominant. So we'll see if that carries over to the second half. I believe he pitched in like an Arizona League game just to stay sharp during the All-Star break. Sam Henches. Same problem, man. One in four with an 8.23 ERA in eight starts, 15 games pitched total. Uh, he has 25 walks to 44 strikeouts. It's good for a 1.76 strikeout to walk ratio. That's just not good enough. And 13.1 hits per nine innings. His whip is over two, 2.039. That is a big thumbs down. For Sam Henches, for someone that they talked up so big at the alternate site, uh, it just has not translated. He's either walking everybody or he's putting it right down the middle and getting pounded uh, out there. So he has definitely got to figure out what he's going to do to be an effective starter, how to command the zone, pitch to the edges, pitch to the shadows. Uh, he's got some serious work to do still, and that's that's okay. That is okay for rookies. He should be in AAA right now. He shouldn't probably be up here facing major league talent, but he is, and he's going to have to deal with it, and he's going to have to work it out and figure it out at, no matter what level he's pitching at. JC Mejia, I thought the numbers would look better than this, but I guess I guess it's been pretty rough. In seven starts, 10 games total, he's 1-4, with a 7.42 ERA, he has walked 11 and struck out 27. So his strikeout to walk ratio is a little better than those last two guys, 2.45. His WHIP is all right at 1.352. Um, his ERA plus is at 62, well below league average. Um, he's given up 8.9 hits per nine innings. So, yeah, I guess for him, it's been the hits. I guess he's just been hit around a lot. It always feels like Mejia has it, he has it, and then he loses it, right? It always feels like, oh, this might be the good start. No, he got blown up in the fourth inning. You know, so thumbs down for J.C. Mejia. Again, another guy who has a ton of potential. 
he looks like a major league starter for a couple of innings there, and then it just all falls apart on him. So he is going to get more chances, though, in this starting rotation. Uh, jumping down here, the way Baseball Reference has it, and that's what we're on today. Baseball Reference just seems to have better, has all the counting numbers for the starting pitchers. It seems to have some better data. Fangraphs doesn't have whip for some reason when it comes to the starting pitchers, uh, at least looking at the entire roster. So jumping down here to some other guys that have started games for us, Cal Quantrill in uh, 26 games, eight starts, is one and two, finally picked up that first win with a 4.23 ERA. Uh, he has 20 walks to 43 strikeouts, good for a 2.15 strikeout to walk ratio. Not great. Uh, not great. I mean, you could see those three main starters were all above three when it came to strikeouts per walk. And I think that's where you got to be looking as a starter. Um, he has been hit around pretty hard. 9.5 hits per nine innings. His ERA plus is actually over 100. He's at 108. Uh, it's a slight thumbs down for Cal Quantrill. Slight. He's another guy that feels like he's got it, he's got it, and up he lost it. Um, there have been some really strong innings. I think for him, it's been his sinker and his fastball. Remember some of those uh, baseball savant, uh, you know, pages that we've run through throughout his starts where he cannot get anybody to swing and miss when it comes to either his sinker or his forcing fastball. So that is something that he is going to have to figure out. Logan Allen, it's a big thumbs down for Logan Allen. One in five with a 913 ERA and seven starts. Another guy who his strikeout-to-walk ratio is 1.36, 11 walks, 15 strikeouts, giving up nine home runs, uh, 11.9 hits per nine innings. His whip is at 1.809. It's bad. It's really bad from Logan Allen. He He looked like he had found it in spring training. He looked like that crazy windup of his where he sets his hands in, sets his hands out, brings them back in. It looked like it was going to work for him, and... It's been a disaster. I mean, he really has struggled throwing strikes. Eli Morgan in five starts, one in three with an 844 ERA. Uh, Only four walks to 22 strikeouts. He has the best strikeout to walk ratio of anyone on the team. 5.5 strikeouts per walk. That is awesome. However, he's given up 11.8 hits per nine. His whip is 1.5. Now, this is completely tainted by that start in the hurricane against Toronto. Now, would Toronto have slapped him all around the ballpark anyways? Probably, because Toronto is an excellent hitting team. But Eli Morgan, I am actually giving a thumbs up to. I think Eli Morgan has really been battling out there. If you wipe out that first start, I think he's just gotten better the more he has started out there. So I'm giving Eli Morgan a thumbs up so far, and I am excited to see what he does in the second half. All right, let's get into some of these relief pitchers here. Emmanuel Classe, 3-4 with a 1-7-2 ERA in 38 appearances. He has 11 saves. Um, he's got a strikeout-to-walk ratio of 2.93. He's averaging 10.1 strikeouts per nine innings with a 1.282 whip. I think Eli Emmanuel Classe has been a Big thumbs up. He's got an ERA plus of 267, the best on the team. You'll be shocked at who's number two in that category. Um, eh, not totally shocked, but you'll be surprised. 
267 ERA plus. That is pretty dominant. Class A, until like the last two, his last two appearances of the season has been really dominant. He hadn't given up a home run all season until that Kansas City series. So Manuel Classe has been really effective. And then let's just talk about James Karinchek in the same breath. Six and two, actually. Karinchek, remember, has gotten a couple of those blown save wins. Um, so he's six and two with a 252 ERA uh, in 41 games. He has 22 walks to 68 strikeouts, leading all relievers in strikeouts. It's good for a 3.09 strikeouts per walk. 15.6 strikeouts per nine innings, leading the team in that. Uh, his whip is 1.017. So, yeah, 182 ERA plus. Uh, Karinchek and Klasse. Karinchek has nine saves, so 20 saves total for the Indian. Actually, Shaw's got a save and Wickren's got a save, so 22 total for the Indians. Um, if that had been the stats of one pitcher... Uh, not that one pitcher would have that many appearances this at this point in the season, but if that had been one pitcher when it comes to saves, wins, losses, things like that, uh, I think you're looking at an all-star closer. But they just they split everything. You know, they've been used some sometimes in different situations, and so I think as far as all-star nods go, I think that hurt them. I think if one of those guys was committed as the closer. Not that it matters. So that's what I'm saying. Like, those guys are up there with the elite closers, with the elite relievers in baseball. They're just, they didn't get recognized at the All-Star break because they split these roles so much. So I think it's a thumbs up for both of these guys. Sure, there have been outings where you've scratched your head, but for the most part, these guys have been pretty dominant to end ball games with. And uh, yeah, it's it's going to be quite the tandem going forward. So big thumbs up to both those guys. Brian Shaw, two and three with a three oh five ERA in thirty nine games. His strikeout to walk is not as great. One point six eight. He's walked twenty eight and struck out forty seven. His WHIP is at one point three. For Brian Shaw, his ERA plus is still at one fifty, but he really has forgotten how to throw strikes lately. I think since that Pittsburgh series, he has really struggled to throw strikes. So it's a slight thumbs up for Brian Shaw. He really came out of the gate hot and has really struggled lately, uh, but for, at least for his leadership and his veteran presence out there and his willingness to take the ball every day. I know when you saw Brian Shaw coming back, you thought it was going to be a disaster. I'm sure you thought it was going to be an absolute disaster, and it has not been. He's been... He's been somewhat reliable for most of the season. So with that alone, for beating expectations, he's going to get a thumbs up from me. Phil Maton. Phil Maton has been the everything guy. He's 2-0 with a 4.79 ERA in 32 appearances, including a game started, um, you know, as the opener. Uh, 16 walks to 52 strikeouts. It's good for a 3.25 strikeout to walk ratio. Strikeouts per nine are up at 13.1 strikeouts per nine. He does get hit around a little bit. His whip is at 1.318. His ERA plus is just under league average at 96. Phil Maton has, just like Brian Shaw, there's times where he just forgets how to throw strikes. But he has been asked to literally handle any situation. Starter gets blown up in the first inning. Here comes Maton. Emmanuel Klasse and Karinchek have pitched four days in a row. 
go out there and finish a game for us, you know, or pitch in the eighth inning. Maytown has literally been asked to do anything, and he's handled every situation. He has been serviceable out of the bullpen, we'll say. It's not always great. Sometimes he loses it. Sometimes he looks absolutely dominant and unhittable, which is why he's got a 13.1 strikeouts per nine innings going for him. So it's a thumbs up for Phil Maton. Nick Wickren, 2-2 two and two with a 4.7 ERA in 31 appearances. He's got seven walks to 33 strikeouts, good for a 4.71 strikeout per walk ratio. He also gets hit around a little bit, 8.2 hits per nine innings, but his whip is down because his walks are down. He's got a 1.141 whip, and again, just below league average at 98. Again, Nick Wickren, there are times when he looks like the most dominant pitcher in a bullpen, and there's times where he just doesn't. He's actually finished seven games for the Indians this season uh, and has a save. I got to say, Wickren, you know, we don't need him to be the closer. We don't need him to be uh, an all-star. We just need him to be a serviceable, reliable arm out of the bullpen. And there's days when he's got him blown up. There absolutely is. He's given up six home runs. Of the relievers that I've talked about so far, it's the most home runs any of them have given up. But... I got to say, it's a slight thumbs up for Nick Wickren. Again, he, there are times when he looks pretty dominant, and that strikeout-to-walk ratio is really good. So he can get hit around sometimes, but he's out there battling and attacking the strike zone. So I got to give Nick Wickren a slight thumbs up. All right, Trevor Steffen, the guy we got in the Rule 5 draft from the Yankees. He is 1-0 and with, in 23 games with a 4.36 ERA. He's finished 10 games. I know there's been some blowouts where we're like, all right, Stefan, you get in there, you finish this thing out. He's got 18 walks to 41 strikeouts, good for a 2.28 strikeout-to-walk ratio. He is averaging 11.2 strikeouts per nine innings, which is pretty good. His ERA plus is at 105. Uh, His whip, though, is at 1.515. So he's gotten hit around a little bit. He's walked a few guys. He has not pitched in many high-leverage situations. It's a slight thumbs down for me, but I think there's potential there, right? We are definitely not counting on him in any high leverage situations right now, but I think there's still potential there. I mean, the dude throws ridiculously hard, ridiculously. He has given up nine home runs, though. Uh, He's given up tied with Logan Allen there. He's given up the most uh, home runs of any reliever on the team, so... That is probably not great. Probably something he's going to have to work on. But I'm glad we got him. I'm glad we got him from the Yankees. I think there's still potential there for Trevor Steffen. I'm really curious. He was a starter at one time. I still think he's more effective out of the bullpen when he can really unleash his full velocity for a few innings. Nick Sandlin has uh, also has 23 appearances. He is also 1-0 with a 1.85 ERA. Um, he has allowed some inherited runners to come in and score, but his ERA is looking pretty squeaky clean. 14 walks at 35 strikeouts. It's good for a 2.5 strikeouts per walk ratio, 12.9 strikeouts per nine innings, uh, third best behind Karinczak and Maton on the team, but a 2.49 ERA plus, second best on the team. Nick Sandlin, I'm giving you a big thumbs up. What a surprise this guy has been 
out of the bullpen. And for those of you who follow minor league baseball, have watched this guy come up through the system, it's not a surprise for you. Uh, for us, I got to say, it's a little bit of a surprise. Uh, yeah, his whip is at 1.068. All right, uh, Blake Parker, 1-0 with a 2.7 ERA and 15 appearances, 2.75 strikeouts per walk, 1.350 whip. Uh, he's actually had a 173 ERA plus. I got to say, Blake Parker's been okay. He's been he's been okay. Thumbs up for me. Uh, Kyle Nelson in 10 appearances, no record, 9.31 ERA. Um, I think he got sent back down. It's a thumbs down for me. Kyle Nelson has not worked yet. Um, he's got a one strikeout to walk ratio. Eight walks, eight strikeouts. Justin Garza in three appearances, it's a 2.84 ERA. Um, a little bit of an incomplete here. Only 6.1 innings pitched. Uh, I'm not even sure how we can really judge that. Although his whip is at 0.474. So I guess it's a thumbs up. I guess it's a thumbs up. He has given up two home runs though. So his FIP, his fielding independent pitching is up at 6.48, but his whip is at 0.474. Uh, So yeah, it's those home runs he's got to avoid. Oliver Perez with his short stint here only pitched in five games, only got in 3.2 innings before we had to cut him loose. It's a bit of an incomplete there for Oliver Perez. And DJ Johnson has appeared in one game, went one and two-thirds of an inning, uh, three strikeouts. His ERA is 5.4 because he gave up a home run. Uh, A little bit of an incomplete there from DJ Johnson. We're going to have to see a little more. So that is all the Indians pitching. It was a pretty long episode. Lots of names we had to get through there. So thank you for sticking all the way to the end. Overall, the pitching has hung in there. And that's the reason the Indians are hanging in there. The Indians are above 500 because with Shane Bieber and Savali and Plesak out, the pitching has hung in there. It's been pretty rough from these rookie starters. It's it's bordering on falling into disaster category, but it has somehow hung on. Somehow the pitching has hung on to at least keep us above 500. And I mean, that's the best I can say about it to this point. So we will see if those guys come back, if Brad Peacock gets called up, if we go out and find some starting pitching at the trade deadline, what we can do to support, because obviously it's been very stressful on the bullpen. The starters need to go deeper into games. And uh, those veteran starters will once we get them back off the IL. And if we could pick up a veteran starter, that would help out a ton. So it's got it's a tough choice. Antonetti and Chernoff are really stuck, I think, right now between should they be buyers or should they be sellers at this deadline. All right. We'll see what they do. I mean, if they get absolutely destroyed by Oakland, then Houston, then Tampa Bay, I think we all know where they're going to end up on that buyer-seller scale. So that's all my thoughts. Thanks for joining me on this Cleveland Baseball Morning. And thanks to Steve for the email. You can follow me on Twitter at Davey Barris. You can email the show at ClevelandBaseballMornings at gmail.com. Let me know your thoughts on the game, and we'll discuss them on the show. Also, I'm hosting this podcast on Anchor. So if you go to anchor.fm forward slash Cleveland Baseball Mornings, you can leave a voicemail for the show. We'll play them back in the air, respond to your thoughts, and we'll have a fun conversation amongst the fans about baseball. Enjoy the rest of this All-Star break. We won't be playing again until Friday night, which means we won't be back with a new episode until Saturday morning. So thanks again for joining me on this Cleveland Baseball Morning.